Thank you. What I want to do with this psalm, you should have a paper in front of you with the psalm printed out and some suggested questions. It's it's a psalm that breaks very easily into three um, main headings, if you like. Uh, Verses 1 to 2, his heartbroken complaint. Verses 3 to 4, his heartfelt cry. And verses 5 to 6, his heartfelt confidence. So I I wanted to interact together with this psalm, what I want to do when we've spent some time meditating on it together is have a time of open prayer for for the family of God here. There are a number of people who are in the how long, O Lord, stage of their life. Um, And so it's right that we should pray with them and pray for them. Some people are unable to pray for themselves. Do you understand what I mean? It's so raw, so painful, so deep deep, and uh, sometimes we need to hold their arms up uh, in prayer Um, sometimes we can't pray for ourselves but we can pray for each other so that's what I want us to do uh, when we come uh, after we've spent some time looking at this psalm let's ask God's help father we pray in Jesus name that this psalm that you wove into David's life that he recorded it was a it was a psalm that he wanted to teach subsequent generations because he wanted it set to music so God's people could sing it because it resonated so deeply with him may it do so for us now we pray in Jesus name amen Amen. so let's think through this psalm Um, if you have a bible you're going to be looking up some other verses that that point us in the in the direction so first question why does David pray like this how long, O oh Lord? Why does he pray like this? Because he's at his wit's end. How do we know that? He feels forgotten. Will you forget me forever? Is that, by the way, let me just be a bit techy, that is theologically impossible, isn't it? How can God forget anything or anyone or any one of his children? How can he do that? It is impossible. It's theologically, utterly impossible. Someone turn to Numbers, would you? Numbers chapter 6, and and someone read verses 22 through 27. Thank so you. They, Sorry. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel, and I will bless them. That's God's heart. That's God's passion. That's God's desire to deeply, richly 
bless his people, to have his face shining upon them, to give them his peace. That is not what David's experiencing. Would you, if you heard someone pray, how long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? Would you correct their theology? Would you say, you can't say that? You can't say that? God's never forgotten anybody. Would you say that? Please don't. <laughs> if someone's heartbroken, don't, don't correct their theology. Some of, some, of us, uh, some of us are blessed with a sort of a nitpicker brain. And, and, it's, and sometimes it can be hurtful, not helpful, to just let it go. Let it go. Just, it's okay. So even though I think in David's soul he knows that God has forgotten him, that's exactly how it feels. That's exactly how he feels. This is functionally, agonizingly real for him. What's happening in, how would you describe his emotional condition in verse 2? Every day is a fight. Maybe every night is a fight as well. Have you ever had the experience where, as, as, as one of my sons calls it, a brain worm, and it, it just goes round and round and round. You can't get these thoughts out of your mind. You're, you're locked in with your thoughts. You can think nothing else but this dark thing is just hanging over you. And your thoughts go round. And notice what he describes. How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? If you're faced with a problem, you will want to find a solution, won't you? You will want to find a way out. You will want, how's this going to work out? What's going to happen? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? What's gonna, what if? What if? What if? You ever played the what if game? And, you, and all you can't get this thing out of your mind and then you drift off and then it's one o'clock in the morning and then it comes back and then you drift off and it's half past one in the morning and, it, and, then, and, then, and, and then you've got to get up and get stuck in the morning and it's just terrible, isn't it? That's, I think that's his reality. How does he feel in his heart? sorrow he's overwhelmed with sorrow that's not right is it it's not right for a christian to be overwhelmed with sorrow is it we're meant to be happy all the day aren't we really really day after day have sorrow in my heart how long will my enemy triumph over me this we we're not told who the enemy is David's enemy in this. It could be a physical enemy. He had plenty. It could be our enemy. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion. We all have an enemy. Every Christian has an enemy. How long will my enemy triumph over me? There, there seems to be that he's not only under suffering from, I would suggest, pro possibly depression, but he's also under satanic attack as well. This phrase, how long, O Lord, actually is a, is a recurring prayer within the scripture. So someone read, 
Let's look up Psalm 6, verse 3. Someone else look up Psalm 35, 17. Someone look up Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 2. And someone look up uh, Revelation, chapter 6, verse 10. David again in Psalm 6. How long? Psalm 35, 17. How long, O Lord? Another one. Habakkuk, verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help? How long must I... Revelation 6, verse 10. Get your head around this one. So these are... The, the prayer in Revelation 6, verse 10 are from people, Christians who've been martyred for their faith and they're crying out from the altar, how long, O Lord, before you have... Avenge our blood. How long before you right all the wrongs? How long before you bring justice into the cosmos? So it's, it's a recurring prayer that runs throughout the Bible. How long, O oh Lord? How long before you save my children? How long before you revive the work that bears your name? How long before there's justice again in this land? How long, O oh Lord? How long? How long? Does the fact that this prayer that's recorded by God's people throughout the scriptures give you encouragement and comfort? <laughs> Do you sometimes feel, particularly if we're having a time of open prayer, that you've got to get your words right? <laughs> and it's, it's all got to be nice and nicely, neatly bowed and, and, and theologically sound and all the rest of it. I think this guy's real. And the fact that David wanted this psalm recorded and he wanted it sung by God's people is a huge blessing to God's people. It's okay to pray like this. It's okay to tell God how you actually feel. And to pour, as, as the psalmist says, to pour out your soul before the Lord. He's pouring out his soul. There's, there's no one else, I think, that we can do that with even to the people that you're closest to by the ties of nature you can pour out your soul but you know that sometimes it's not going to resonate it's not going to connect but here is one the Lord to whom we can go and pour out our souls and, and, and weep and beg and plead how long Oh Lord, how long? Heart complaint. Then look at his heartfelt cry, verses three through four. Look on me and answer, Lord my God. What reasons does David bring to plead his case with God? In other words, when he says, "Look on me and answer me." Why should the Lord look on him and answer him? What reasons does he bring to 
present his case before the Lord. Yes. Is there anything else? Yes, is there anything else? Hmm? He does, that's what he's praying for. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. Mm-hmm. Very good, very good. That's the first reason he brings... Look on me and answer me, O oh Lord, my God. Why is he using terminology like that? Look on me and answer me, O oh Lord, my God. What does that tell us about his relationship with the Lord? It's personal. It's personal. He, he, he's, he's using the covenant name of God. He's using the name that the, the Lord revealed to his people through Moses in Exodus 3 when Moses said who shall I say sent me tell them I am sent you Yahweh sent you I am who I am I will be who I will be they will be my pe- I will be their God and they will be my people he's using the covenant language he's, u- he's pleading his relationship with God Lord my God in other words we are in this together. <laughs> we are in this together. You have brought me into this covenant relationship with yourself. By blood, I'm in this covenant relationship with you. You are my God. Therefore, because you are my God, look on me and answer me. And we've already touched on what he says in verse, the second half of verse 2. Give light to my eyes or... I will sleep in death. And, in the verse 3, and my enemy will say I've overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. What's he doing when he says that? Remember he's pleading the covenant relationship that he has with the Lord. You You are the Lord my God. When he says, I'll sleep in death, or... And my enemy will say, I've overcome him. When Satan says, I've overcome him, I've overcome one of your children, I've destroyed one of your children, God, you said you'd keep them, and you haven't, he's gone, I've, but I've won. What's David doing when he's praying like that? Hmm? It is God's honour that is at stake. It is God's reputation wrapped up in your life that is literally at stake. Who else prays like that? Moses does. Psalm, sorry, not Psalm. Someone turn up Exodus chapter 32. And 9 through 14, please. If someone's got Exodus 32, I'd like you to read... Verses 9 through 14. Thank you, Mrs. Kane. 
you this week to meditate on Moses prayer here this is huge this is massive there is I mean it's fascinating just looking at the interaction where the Lord says in verse 9 and 10 I've seen these people the Lord said to Moses are stiff-necked people now leave me alone so that I my anger my anger may burn against them and I may leave you alone <laughs> says Moses won't leave you alone not to pray i'm going to pray your name is wrapped up with these people your reputation is wrapped up with these people you've put your name on them you've brought them out of egypt you've put your son on the cross to get them out of egypt how can you now with him not freely give us all things that's prayer isn't it that's prayer because, Lord, the honour, back to Psalm 13, the honour of your name is wrapped up in my life. You are my God and I am your child. And how can it possibly be that Satan would triumph over me ultimately? How can that possibly be? So for the sake of your name, please look on me and answer me. Give light to my eyes. Help me to see more clearly... Open my eyes. Who else prayed that? Open my eyes that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Open my eyes. Give light to my eyes. How does this teach us to pray? How does this teach us to pray? Or let me ask you in a slightly different way. Does this help you to pray? Hmm. <laughs> Exactly, yeah. I mean, how many of you are parents in this room? Okay, thank you. How many, have had, how many of you have had your kids come up to you and say, Mum, Dad, you promised. When, when they come to you and say, yeah, but you promised, yeah, but you promised, what are they doing? <laughs> They're making you stick to your word. <laughs> Is, is there anything wrong with that? When, when, when a child says to their parent, Mum, Dad, but you promised. They're making the parent stick to their word. That's prayer, by the way. <laughs> You're asking God to stick to his word. Because his name and his honour and his reputation, he has chosen by sovereign grace to wrap all of that, the glory of of God into your life, interwoven into your life. 
So we have his heartbroken complaint, we have his heartfelt cry, and look at his heartfelt confidence. But I trust in your unfailing focused. He's focused on the Lord. Has his situation changed? There's no evidence that the situation that has broken his heart has changed. Is there? There's no evidence in this psalm that his prayer, in a sense, has been answered, like the trouble is gone. It's all behind me now. But what has changed? His perception, his attitude, his heart has been changed. God has done a heart work as he's cried out to him from his broken heart and his heartfelt cry that God, for his own name's sake, would bring relief to him. But I trust in your unfailing love. But I trust in your unfailing love. There is such a thing that God has written into the cosmos as unfailing love. We, read it, we heard about it this evening from Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5 is Paul expounding God's unfailing Trinitarian love in the, of the Father giving the Son and the Spirit being poured out into our hearts. That's God's unfailing love. And David says in another psalm, because your love is better than life, my lips will praise you. But... I trust. I think the but indicates that the situation has not changed, but his perception of the Lord and himself in the situation has radically changed. It's radically changed. That's why he can say, but I trust in your unfailing love. Would someone read Job 13 verse 15, please? Though he slay me, yet will I hope in him, or yet will I trust in him. Can you imagine that? Though he slay me, yet will I trust in him. God didn't slay Job, did he? But he did slay the Job behind the Job. The true innocent sufferer. Did he not? He who did not spare his own son, how will he not with him freely give us all things? But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. No wonder Jesus said at the funeral of his best mate Lazarus, he who lives by believing in me will never die. Never die. I've given my blood, I've poured my spirit into you. No Christian can ever die. Even if you get a diagnosis of terminal illness, you'll never die. But I trust in your unfailing love. How do you think, we've already thought about this to a degree, but how do you think David got 
how did he, in the situation that was so heartbreaking at the beginning of the psalm and hadn't changed by the time he got to the end of the psalm, how had he got to the perspective that enabled him to say what he says in verses 5 and 6? I trust, my heart rejoices, I will sing. How was he able to get there? Exactly. He started listening. He start. He stopped talking to himself. In other words, by listening, by preaching the gospel to himself, by embracing the exceedingly great and precious promises that the Lord has made in His covenant, he he changed the perception of them. As a fascinating verse, Amanda was sharing that with me recently in those exceedingly great and precious promises that, that Peter talks about. Is it 1 Peter or 2 Peter? 1 Peter, thank you. Well remembered. And he talks about, at the end of, of that chapter, about the day, spring, the, the, the morning star rising in your hearts. In other words, there's something happening as you pray in the trial when you not just memorise God's exceedingly great and precious promises, but you meditate upon them. There's a work of the Spirit happens as you do that, and that becomes yours. And 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 the Lord, in a sense, the Lord rises up in your hearts, and and makes that promise yours. That's what's happened here, I think, in this psalm. We 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 mentioned in the beginning that Habakkuk prayed this, how long, O Lord, in his situation, looking at the violence and the injustice in his nation at the time, in Habakkuk 1-2, where he said, how long, O Lord. Would someone read Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 16 through 19, please? So at the end of Habakkuk's prayer, how long, O Lord, and the Lord answers, and then in chapter 2 he goes, you're going to do what? You're going to do what? Look at the nations and be amazed. And he comes to the end of his his Psalm 13 experience, because I think Habakkuk is a Psalm 13 experience as well. And he says, though... I'm going to go through the most profound suffering and poverty. The nation, there is calamity coming on the nation invading us. But while the nation is invading us, there is no, the, the fig tree won't bud, no grapes on the vines, olive crop fails, food, no food, no sheep, no cattle, no sustenance, nothing of, of what we would term as the Lord's blessing upon us. Nothing. 
Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. I think Habakkuk is a, is a replay of the Psalm 13 experience. Lord's key that he gave Habakkuk to help him to get through what he was going through. Habakkuk 2, verse 4. See, the enemy is puffed up, his desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by faith or by his faithfulness. That's how David is getting through what he's going through. That's how Habakkuk got through what he was going through. That's how you and I will get through whatever the Lord puts us into the righteous will live by faith this is David living by faith it's okay to have a heartbroken complaint before the Lord but let's learn as, as David has taught us that it's, it's right and proper to bring our petitions to the Lord and bring reasons why the Lord should hear us because he is the Lord our God and may the Lord all get us to the place where David got to, but I trust in your unfailing love. What I'd like us to do now is just have a time of open prayer. I won't mention the names of the folk in our fellowship who are needing of our prayers, but I, you know as well as I do, there are many, many folk in our church. I've never known reason like it where many are crying out, How long, O Lord? So I won't mention names, but as they come to you, as they're laid upon your heart, even if it's a little one-liner, we'll, we'll say amen as we lift these names up, these people up, our family up before the Lord, and then we'll sing. So please pray as the Lord leads you, and then I'll close, and then we'll sing.
Thank you, Father, for this psalm where David shares his heart, not just with you, but with us. <laughs> Thank you that this psalm does give us comfort for all the times of sorrow and affliction and darkness. When darkness seems to hide his face, help us, Lord, to hide, to trust in your unfailing grace. <coughs> Through every high and stormy gale, my anchor holds and will not fail. We worship and praise you that you are the Lord our God. And for your great and glorious and wise and unfathomable and sometimes harsh providences. We are told by a man who struggled with depression, judge not the Lord by feeble sense, but trust him for his grace. Behind a frowning providence, he hides a smiling face. May we see the smile of your face on us again, Lord, please. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thank you for interacting, and uh, as we've spent time walking with David through Psalm 13, uh, we'll conclude our time together by standing and singing with the... As the musicians lead us through all the changing scenes of life and I hope it was going to come up behind me with the magic of modern technology.